there. Welcome back. I'm Karen Hall, your host of the Hero Within podcast. I'm passionate about sharing inspiring true stories of unsung heroes who've overcome some of life's most challenging adversities. Come along with me and learn how you too can find hope and healing to return to love. I was so drawn to Karen Wilson. She has a beautiful maternal energy. And in this episode, she describes how she was carrying around a 10-ton boulder, and it was getting heavier and heavier as time passed. She became pregnant as a teen after being abandoned by her family, and she was homeless. She was terrified as she gave birth all alone, and she made the very difficult choice to give her son up for adoption. She shares how she learned to release this 10-ton boulder after years of carrying this burden. I had really wanted to just thank you in person and how marvelous it was that you shared your story with me. I was just absolutely amazed that you could feel so much compassion for me and that you could be such a cheerleader. And I was just so thrilled. And it was great to see you. are such a pretty lady. And it was really an amazing experience for me to be acknowledged in that way. Oh, when I read your story, I was just so touched. That's wonderful. I love that. I think is really amazing because I sense that you didn't receive a lot of maternal nurturing that way. And then for you to have that to give to other people, that's really like a superpower. I agree. And I think it's really interesting to look at it like that. And I never thought of it that way. But I think what really occurred to me was that when people are mean to you, you never want to ever do that to anyone else. So whatever I didn't get, I wanted to give. Oh my goodness. And I took training to help myself heal from my childhood wounds, which were rather intense. And I needed to have some way of releasing them. I was going to say, that's amazing that you found that tool. If you don't mind reviewing for our listeners that haven't read your story yet, if you could just tell us a little bit. Sure. I was a little girl. I was born into a family of two people who were dysfunctional. My father was a very brilliant man, and he was a scientist, a chemist, and he was brilliant with math, and he expected myself and my brother to be brilliant because he was brilliant. And he didn't understand that you have to start with basic math before you can go to chemistry and all of algebra and all of those things. He had no tolerance, he had no patience, and he was always scowling that we didn't perform to his specifications immediately. I was doing math in first grade. My mother taught me to read when I was three, but I really wasn't good at math. Math is not my forte. And so I was never good enough for him. And my mother married him because it was expected. They married each other because they were lonely, but she was very unhappy. And when I was born, she felt that I was a curse from God. And she treated me as if I was. And I had to be perfect. And when I was four years old, I smudged my dress. Isn't that normal? I was actually shamed for it. And I found out very early, I couldn't be anything except perfect. If I wanted any attention from my mother, positive attention, I wasn't going to get it unless I was perfect. 
And so I grew up in that environment. I was never good enough. And then my brother, who's three years younger than myself, was born. And he was constantly being rushed to the hospital in the middle of the night. And I would wake up and nobody would be there. I was alone. I was three years old and I was terrified. Yes. I couldn't understand. Why did they leave me? I'm really not good enough. They don't care about me at all. And I'd go looking for them. and They weren't there. The crib was empty. Their bed was empty. And there was nothing. How would I know at three where they went? They didn't tell me. And I had that happen during his whole first year of life. And probably during his second year of life, that went on all the time. And they paid no attention to me whatsoever. So I was just not important. I was invisible. And then growing up, I was scorned in school. I was different than everybody else. I had curly hair, freckles, and glasses. They didn't accept me because I was so different than everyone else. I was also very smart. I inherited my father's brain and reading a three and answering all the questions in school, whatever, not math, but the other stuff. I knew all the answers. And the teacher got to the point of anybody else except Karen. And I just felt like chopped liver because I couldn't even be acceptable at school to a teacher that really didn't know anything about me. And the kids, they didn't like me at all. I was too smart for them. And so they shunned me and I'd go to the lunchroom to sit down and eat at the table. You can't sit here. We don't want you at our table. And they would call me names because I wore glasses like four eyes and other names. And so I grew up with this attitude of, I'm really not good enough for anybody. Nobody wants me. I'm just a nobody. And I really didn't like myself. I didn't feel good about myself. And when I was 13 years old, my mom reversed roles with me. And at that time, my parents were going through their problems and she found out my father was cheating on her. So she decided that fair is fair. She's going to go cheat on him. He used me to go out with boyfriends. I would go to school in the morning and she would be waiting there to pick me up at the front of the school and take me back home because she wanted me to babysit so she could leave because she had my brother and my education was non-existent. And I didn't realize what was happening, that she was using me for her own ends. And I couldn't graduate from 10th grade. When I got to the end of the year, I was absolutely shocked to find out I had to take it over again. She had made me stay home all year and babysit for her so she could go out and have fun with her boyfriends and then ended up getting divorced. So we moved to a new town. And luckily, I didn't know anybody there. And I went to 10th grade in this new town. And when my little brother was born, I ended up babysitting him a lot. And my mother was never home. She had a boyfriend by then and moved in with him. And I was living in the apartment for us with my little three-year-old brother. And she wasn't paying any attention to me. And I was invited to a party at my cousin's. And I met this guy. And he was handsome and mysterious and quiet. And he had a motorcycle. And boy, I fell head over heels for him. And the part of me that didn't have any attention all those years was so desirous of having somebody like me. Of course, what happened? I got pregnant. 
And he didn't want to have anything to do with me after that. And I didn't want to even admit it to myself. I was in 12th grade. I had morning sickness and I'm like, oh God, my period didn't come. I can't be pregnant. I can't acknowledge it. I'm not pregnant. It's going to go away. Of course it didn't go away. And finally, um, by the time I was, I think four months pregnant, I finally had to go tell my parents because I wasn't feeling well. I couldn't get up in the morning. I had to go to school. So I finally had to tell them. My mother slapped me in the face and said, you have to go to the father. He should be responsible. And my father, who wasn't living with her anymore, said, I'll take you to England for an abortion. I said, no, that's a baby. I'm not doing that. That's against my conscience. So I said, no. So they kicked me out and I was homeless. So I packed a bag and I went to New York and I went to his house and I knocked on the door and I said, I'm here. I'm pregnant with your child and I don't have anywhere else to go. He let me in. And I was probably there for mm, a couple of weeks, maybe a month. I don't think it was even that long. And he said, I'm sorry, this really isn't working out for me. You need to leave. And he didn't want to have to go get a job and support us. And he wasn't working. And I was trying to insist that he'd go find a job. And he didn't want to do that. So that was the end of that. It was a very cold, late afternoon. And... My pants didn't fit anymore, and I had to hold them close with a safety pin. And I walked the 20 blocks to my aunt's apartment. And I was exhausted, and I didn't feel good, and I was crying. And she took me in, and she said, you can stay. And I slept on the couch in the living room. And it was really short, and it was very ornate material. And it had wooden handles. And they were in the shape of swans. And I was squished up with my knees up against my belly on that couch. And that's where I stayed. And I helped out in the house. And when I was ready to give birth, I was in labor pains. And they took me to the hospital and they dropped me off. And I was completely alone in this big, enormous room. The tiles on the floor were cold. The colors were cold. It was steel and green in this huge cavernous, empty, cold room. And I'm having labor pains and yelling my head off and there's nobody there. I was terrified. And throughout my whole pregnancy, when I was at my aunt's, I was having panic attacks and I had to keep breathing in a paper bag because I didn't know what was gonna happen to me. I'd never been on my own. I was basically a sheltered girl and I didn't have any skills. I didn't know how to support myself. And here I am. I'm now going through labor pains and going through the birthing process and nobody was with me. And I was in that room for hours. And finally, when my water broke, I started screaming for help because I was terrified. What am I going to do? What's happening to me? Finally, they knocked me out. And when I woke up the next day, I was in a hospital room. It was full of old discarded furniture. And there was nobody else with me. And the nurse showed up and I said, I want to see my baby. I had told the doctor who had arranged the adoption that I didn't want to see the baby because I knew I was giving him up. I finally started saying, I want to see my baby. And I want to call the doctor and make sure he changes the order. So I finally got to see my baby and I held him. And he looked at me and he knew me. And there was this amazing moment 
where we had this connection, this bond. He knew I was his mother and he was just looking at me with this fascinating amazement that this was mother, this was me, and we belonged together. I was with him for the nine months and he knew who I was. And I didn't want him to like me. I really didn't because I knew I had to give him up. But I sat there and I stared in his eyes and I held him for 10 or 15 minutes. They came back and took him away. And the next day, they came in the morning and said, get dressed. The adopting parent is here and you have to voluntarily give this baby to this parent because that was the rules in the state of New York. I was crying my eyes out. I was trying to put on makeup so I could look halfway decent and I couldn't even do that. My eyes were all red and puffy and I was sniffling. And they came back, handed me the baby, walked me downstairs, and I had to hand the baby to this man. Now, he was wearing sunglasses, but even though he was wearing them, you could see his eyes. And they were filled with this desire for this child. He was almost drooling for this child. It was amazing that look on his face. And I knew I was doing the right thing because it was the hardest thing in the world to give that baby up. But I knew he would be better off with that man because I saw that look that they wanted this baby and that even though he was not planned and he was an accident on my end, he was someone that they needed. They wanted him. So I gave him up and I cried and I went to my grandmother's house and I recovered for a few weeks. And then I had to move out. I had to be on my own right across the hall from my aunt was an apartment that came up for rent and they must have arranged and paid for the first month for me. And while I was there, my father showed up and he gave me this piece of paper that said, I was now an emancipated minor. He washed his hands of me. I was no longer his responsibility. I was 18 when I gave birth on May 2nd, 1970. And I was now on my own. I found a job as a receptionist in an advertising company on Madison Avenue, New York. I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't have any skills. They had to teach me how to answer the phones. And that's what I did. Fast forward 30 years later, I found a mentor and a spiritual path. And we talked about all the things that I had gone through in my life. And the mentor said to me, you're dragging a 10-ton boulder behind you. I realized I was dragging all this emotion, this burden of all this pain and misery from my childhood. And I thought through all the years of time when I had gotten some things released that I had already let go of those things, but I really hadn't. So then I had to start all the hard work on myself. And I really had to look in the mirror and recognize who am I? Am I worthy of being loved? Am I worthy of self-respect, self-esteem? Yes, I did these things. Yes, my parents were miserable to me. And yes, I gave my child up for adoption because I thought it was the best thing for him. It certainly wasn't something I could handle 
couldn't support him. So I had to start forgiving and I had to go through that whole process of forgiving everything that happened. Because what I realized is if I didn't forgive, I was the one suffering. I was the one dragging that 10 ton boulder and it really was heavy and I couldn't be happy because I was still miserable from all of my previous years of life. And finally, I got to the place where I realized everybody has a part to play and everybody has lessons to learn. And I got to that place of, I forgave my mother, my father, and the man who made me pregnant. I forgave all of them because I had to in order to really find myself, feel the joy of who I am and recognize what is my mission in this life? What do I need to do to make myself happy? When I was 12, I had a vision. And in that vision, I saw this old woman, white hair. And she told me that my mission in this life was to help others. How can I do that? What do I have that I can help others? I looked at what my skills are. My skills are I can talk to people and I can relate stories. And I can also understand what people have gone through because I've had life experience. And so after I took training, I thought I'm going to be a trainer with the infinity life and I'm going to help people discover their core wounds and release them. That really satisfied my need for fulfillment. It made me feel very happy to do that because I knew I was helping other people and the beauty of it was watching them have this aha moment where they realized that whatever it was that they had experienced wasn't about them. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't their energy that they picked up. It was their parents or their teacher or their siblings or something that impacted them in their youth. And they were never able to let go of it and transition into who they should be. And by my helping them see that, they were able to let go of it, blossom, and become who they really are and find that happiness and that enlightenment within themselves, that joy of being who they really are. And the key is forgiveness and acceptance. What I came to realize is in order to forgive people, you have to learn to accept them first because people are who they are. They can only do as much as they can with what they have. So if they don't have love, they can't give it. If they've never learned love, they can't give it because they don't have it. And so I learned you accept a person as they are. You come to understand who are they? What are they about? What is their makeup, basically? Are they an open person or a closed person? Do they have issues? Are they stuck in their issues? Or have they been able to let go? And if you learn who they are and you recognize, oh, they couldn't have given me love if they tried. They didn't have it to begin with. How can you really keep anger toward them? You can't. You have to say, okay, everyone's a player. Just like Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and everyone on it, only players. And they can only give you 
what they have. And that's all. And some people have nothing. And so I accept everybody for who they are and every experience as a learning experience. And that's what my chapter is about. That is so profound because one of the things that I I think is so beautiful is understanding that the other person is doing the very best they can and to accept that they are giving what they can with what they have. Yes. If they've never been loved or they never learned love, that's very true for so many people. I think it's true for pretty much everybody. Yeah, it really is much more common than we think. And so as a child, though, when we're dealing with somebody that is in that state, it's so easy to internalize that and think, what's wrong with me? Why don't they love exactly. me? Father love would me. even say to me, what's wrong with you? As if I couldn't learn the math because there was something wrong with me. That message comes across in many different ways. Yeah. What's wrong with you? There's something wrong with you. And there isn't anything wrong with anybody when they're a child normally, but there isn't anyone that comes into life with the skills to learn algebra when they're five. But it's so interesting because as a child, you don't understand how to cope with that annoyance and that unrealistic expectation that your parent has. Yes. And you don't have coping skills as a child. You internalize all the emotions and that's all you have. But everyone has a part to play. And then you have to look at what is the lesson. And so I realized my parents were players on the stage. And looking inside, I would discover that there wasn't anything wrong with me. It was all about them. And I could let go of it and forgive them, but accept myself and like myself and love myself for my skills and my gifts as a person with a big heart. So they were there on purpose for that whole reason. Karen Wilson explains how everyone in our life has a lesson to teach us, and they can only give what they have. Stay tuned for part two, in which she shares her journey of forgiveness for her parents, her child's father, and how she began to heal from her childhood wounds. In addition, she shares the beautiful, unexpected gifts she received and how she has transformed her pain into purpose. You don't want to miss the rest of the story. See the links to order the book she helped author on forgiveness. Thank you so much for being here and listening to today's show. I know life is busy. I appreciate you and value the time we spend together. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe leave a review, and include any questions you have for our guest. I'll read your review and mention you by name in my Thursday episode. See the show notes to get the link to join our Facebook group, email list, and to listen and watch our episode on YouTube. We're wishing you lots of love in your own hero's journey.